so we're talking about what time is it? Talking about the return of the Lord. And when I when I started doing this series, I had no I had no idea how much good material people were going to be giving me in the media. Right? I didn't know when I I promised. Like when I planned this a few weeks ago, I did not know that so many people were predicting the end of the world this week. Like I was like, thank you for the perfect setup. That is awesome. Now, I know there was some legitimate anticipation this last week with Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets, which is uh, the, the Jewish New Year, the Jewish uh, Feast of Trumpets, which um, will be uh, fulfilled with the rapture of the church. So many were predicting that it would be uh, this week because of that. And then we have, I think his name was David Mead. Did you guys hear of David Mead who was predicting the end of the world was going to be uh, yesterday? So either... Either he missed it or we all got left, right? Right? It's one or the other. But, but, and it was funny because Friday, I read Friday in USA Today, he started backing it up. Um, he, said, uh, he said, you know what? It's not going to end after all tomorrow. But instead, it's going to mark the beginning of the end. I'm like, yeah, right. Trying to, trying to save yourself there, isn't it? But it's, uh, but it's just there's so much that's going on. So many people are talking about this. And, and this is what can happen. We can hear these kinds of predictions we can hear just the wackiness that can go on regarding end time stuff, and it just makes us, I don't know if it does just you, but it can make me just cringe, right? And if we're not careful, it can make the legitimate claim of Christ that he is coming again become discounted because of the improper way that it's handled, right? And so we have to make sure that we don't discount it or we don't, we don't take away from the value of the truth that Jesus is coming again just because there's some people that are off base and extreme. Does, does, does that make sense? And, and this is tough because the world around us, people around us, they hear Christians doing this kind of stuff and they're like, they're crazy, they're nuts. And so it really matters how we live, right? Because we don't want the narrative of who we are as followers of Christ being made in the Washington Post or Fox News or USA Today, right? That's, that's not the narrative that we want described of us as followers of Christ, we want it to be by the life we live every day by those around us. Can I get an amen on that? Right? That's what really matters. That's the, that we're the living epistle of Christ in the world around us. And that's why it's so important uh, that we talk about this subject, that we become like the sons of Issachar, like the tribe of Issachar, like the men of Issachar. First Chronicles 12, 32, that is the, that's the base of what we're doing these last few weeks off of, is that the men of Issachar understood the times, and knew what Israel should do. That they understood the season that they were living in at that moment. They, they had an understanding of it, and because they understood it, they knew what the people of God should do. And so my prayer is that through this, we will understand what God is doing, and we'll understand how we are to live because of that. And to understand, as we talk about understanding God's timing, understand his timing of things to come, of the end of the age, it's important that in order to understand this, we understand three things about God, that we really grasp three things about him. The first thing about God in, in regard specifically to these end times of him coming again is that God desires everyone to be saved. He desires everyone to be saved. Can you guys say everyone? Everyone, that is his heart's cry, that is his desires. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. 
That scripture's true, isn't it? And I know that's probably not the first time you've heard that scripture. And, and it's, isn't it true that sometimes we can become so familiar with something that we just begin, to, it just becomes, in, our, in, in some ways, not as powerful, not because the power is not there, but because we can become so familiar with something. One of the most beautiful verses in the Bible, and the reason it's so well known, the reason it's one of the first verses that anybody would ever memorize is because of the power that's in it that displays the heart of God, that he so loved the world, that it moved on him. This love moved him to give his son, his only son, so that whoever, can you say whoever? Who's whoever? It's everybody, isn't it? That whosoever would believe in him would not perish, would not have eternal judgment, but would have eternal life because he didn't, he didn't come to bring judgment. He came to bring life. That's why he came. Do you know what one of the things I struggle with the most as a pastor? This is, this is really true. One of the things that is the hardest for me to do, one of the struggles I have is to, is to help people who are really struggling to embrace the love of God. For people that, that really don't believe that God really loves them. That he, they really, they, they can't grasp, they're not able to grasp, they're not able or won't. I don't, I don't know which it is at times. The love and forgiveness that God has offered them. And, and sometimes it happens, often it happens in counseling sessions. I'm trying to help people process life, and, and we're, we're talking, and, they, and we begin to talk about the love of God and the forgiveness of God and reconciliation, and, and I'll, I'll have people just, just break in front of me and just say, I just don't think that he loves me. I just don't think that I can ever be really forgiven for what I've done. Pastor, you don't know everything that I've done, and, there, and that we will build this wall between us and God that we don't believe his love can get over, that we don't believe his love can get under, that we don't believe his love can get around. But, but my Bible says that the love of God, is, it's high and it's low and it goes around. There's nothing that can stop the love of God. And in some ways, and, and I mean this so respectfully because some of you may be struggling with this very issue today, but in some ways it's really prideful to say that my sin is so great that, that I am so bad, that I am so great, that the God, the creator of the universe, the one who died on a cross and rose from the dead, that his love is not good enough for me. That, that, that my sin is greater than all that God has done. And that's simply not true. It's a deception of the enemy, of the devil, for it to, to confuse us and to, to get us to buy the lie that, that God could love everybody else except for me. He can forgive everybody else except for what I've done. And I'm telling you, if you're struggling with that today, if the enemy's just beating you over the head, you don't feel like you qualify, you don't feel like you're good enough, it's okay. Because you, you aren't and you don't, but he is. And he is in your life in that aspect, as, as Carrie mentioned in communion. That his holiness is now our holiness. That we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus that it's not based on our behavior, it's not based on how good we are, but it's based upon Jesus and what he has done for us on the cross. And all we have to simply do is receive. All we have to do is accept and say, Lord, I don't understand it, but I trust and I believe and, and I receive. 
I receive that. That God so loved the world. But you know what one of the problems is? One of the problems is that God loves people that you don't like. You ever thought about that? God actually loves the people that you don't like. People of a different political persuasion. I know you can't believe it, but it's true. People that have different lifestyle choices than what you would approve of. People that you have personality conflicts with. Jesus loves them. But sometimes you don't even like them. Let me me ask you this question. How are you going to reach them with the love of God if you don't like them? Can you really reach somebody for the Lord, with the Lord, that you don't like? I don't think it's possible. I don't think, so what do we do if there's people we don't like, people we don't agree with, but God loves them, then who has to change, right? Because if they don't know the Lord yet, they're just being who they are, right? Or whatever it might be. I heard a wise man once say, all you have to do is find the 1%. The 1% that you can agree with on a person and find commonality. Do you know you can do that? It doesn't matter who it is. You can find the 1% that you agree on and then build from there. And use that to love and to care and to serve. But as Christians, don't we, don't we gravitate to all the things that we disagree on? Oh, it just got quiet, didn't it? (laughs) We focus on things we disagree on. What about if we could just find commonality of one thing, then begin to love and then begin to serve? Because I'm telling you, as we've talked about, the spirit of Antichrist that's at at work on on the earth as a part of this end time of the Lord coming again, it's working to divide people, isn't it? It's working to separate people for animosity and for hate, and that's so opposite of who God is. And so we find that 1% we can agree on and then, and, then, and then have that in common. And then the rest, you know what? In the light of eternity, let's focus on Jesus and on his love and what he has and what he's intended because we're put here not just for this earth, but we're put here for the, for, the, for the world that's to come, for the life that is to come. Because not only is it God's desire for everyone to be saved, but God has a plan to reach the world. That's your second blank in your note, that God has a plan to reach the world. You know, you know what that plan is? It's you. As I turn to your neighbor and say, it's you. Turn to your other neighbor that you don't like as much as the one you talked to first and say, it's you. <laughs> It's you. You're the plan. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus said this. He was talking to his disciples, and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How many know they'd say amen to that, right? They'd say, that's right. You got it. You go, Jesus. You save this world. You go after it. You can do this. We believe in you. We're on your team, Jesus. Go God, right? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Wait, wait, wait. What's going on here, Jesus? I thought you had all authority, all the power. I thought you were going to do this. And he goes, yeah, but I am now giving it to you. 
I'm now delegating it to you. I'm now empowering you with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm gonna, you, you're going to have to wait around because I'm leaving, but I'm sending another who's just like me. And when you're baptized with power from on high, you will go and you'll beat my witnesses in all the earth and you will make disciples of all nations, of every ethnicity, of, of, of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, surely, he says, absolutely, I am with you. I'm with you until the end of the age. Until the time it is that he comes again. See, friends, we're plan A. There is no plan B. There's no backup plan. It's you. It's I. We are God's plan to bring redemption to this earth through Jesus Christ. That's why we're not here for us. We're here for those that don't know Jesus. That's why we're still here. Otherwise, when you get saved, he'll just take you, right? The whole goal is just to get you to heaven. As soon as you'd give your life to the Lord, I mean, it makes sense you'd be hit by a bus, right? You should go to heaven. I mean, heaven's better than here. You and I are here because we have work to do. We have work to do to lead people to Jesus. That's why we focus here at Grace on on four things, on, on, on helping people know God, that you and I would really know him That it wouldn't be just a a head knowledge, an experiential knowledge of knowing Jesus and that we are are saved or walking in that salvation with him. That that each one of us would find the freedom that God has provided for us. And and that happens in context of relationships. And so that's why we have fusion groups. That's why it's my desire that every single one of us are in one of our fusion groups. And it's not too late to join one. You can sign up on our app. You can, you can sign up on our sign-up sheet in the back. Uh, you can see me after service. We want you in a fusion group because that's where we really dis- really find the freedom and be able to walk in who God has called us to be. And that's why we want to help you discover your purpose. That's why we have the growth track. This week is step four. And so you can make a difference because it's all about knowing God, experience the freedom that he's provided for us so we can be who he's, who he's made us to be, so we can do what he's called us to do. We discover our purpose of why we're here, why we exist, the good works that he's made for us, and then every one of us are then deployed to make a difference in this world because that's why we're here. We, you are here to make a difference, to advance the cause of Christ. That's why we exist. That's why we're here is to make this difference. And so we know that God desires everyone to be saved, that he has a plan to reach the whole world, and he is waiting until the completion of his plan to return. He's waiting to return until the world is reached. Matthew 24, 14, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And we talked about this last week. This, this, this word nations is ethnos, the people groups, of the thousands and thousands of people groups that are out there, and one people group is different than another people group because it's us and them. It's different languages. It's different customs. It's different beliefs. And he's saying that the gospel would go to every tongue, every tribe, every ethnic group. It's his plan. It's his desire. And, and we've talked the last several weeks about the, the, the signs of the coming of Christ. And, and this is the, really the only one that you and I get to do together to excel, to speed up the return of Christ is by sharing the love of God of reaching all nations together, of us doing this together. Second Peter chapter 3, 8 through 13 says this, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, the, 
with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises, as some understand slowness. Have you ever discovered that to be true? About your understanding of slowness and God's understanding of slowness? The whole timing thing with us us and God. Have you ever felt like you're not on the same time frame? And that's why he's saying, he goes, he goes, don't misunderstand this. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promises as we would understand slowness. At his time is a different timetable than our time. And the reason is he is patient with you. He's patient with people not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's why he's delaying. That's why he's waiting so more people can spend eternity with him. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this day, what kind of people ought you to be? And that's the crux of what we're talking about in this series. Because he is coming again, because that is true, he is personally coming again, it could happen in any moment, that that impacts the kind of life that we need to live, the kind of people that we ought to be. Peter tells us here, you ought to live holy and godly lives. Those are lives set apart unto God, devoted for him, used for him, that we're holy, we're set apart to him, live as you look forward. That is with anticipation, that we look forward with excitement to the day of the Lord and that we would speed its coming. How do we speed its coming? By reaching the world, by making a difference in the lives of others, that we actually speed up the return of Christ by doing that, of getting people into heaven. I know I'm not old, but the older I get, the more I think about heaven. The more I long for heaven, and the more I think about the goodness and the the lack of pain, the lack of hurt, the lack of brokenness that's there. You know what I'm talking about? That it's, oh, it's going to be good. I think there's a reason why the older people get, the more they sing songs about heaven. You know what I'm saying? Because there's that anticipation, that looking forward to it. So how do we live in these times? How do we live, because this is true, because he is coming again, how do we live? How do we respond? How do we do this? I believe that God has not called us to just survive this generation, to just survive the times that we're in, but he's called us to thrive and he's called us to steward the generation that we're, that we're in. As, as Jesus said about David, that he was one who made a difference in his generation. That, that could be said about you and I, that we'd be one who would make a difference in our generation. And that, that we wouldn't be like a, like a ship that's sunk and, you know, the, 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 the survivors get in a lifeboat and they're just in this lifeboat, they're just hanging on and they're just waiting for rescue. I believe there's a lot of people living life like that. They're in the lifeboat, they're saved, they believe in Jesus, and they're just holding on till he comes again. They're just holding on, they're just waiting. See, that's different than being an invading force that's taking ground, that's taking land, that's going after those that are, that are, that are lost, that are sinking, that are drowning, that aren't rescued. And the Lord doesn't want us to be those that would just hunker down in some lifeboat waiting, but he wants us to be on a search and rescue mission of looking for those that are drowning, looking for those that are far from God, 
that are spiritually dead, that are, that are drowning in a, in a sea of sin and brokenness, that He's calling us to reach them. And how, how do we do this? We do this, number one, by seeing the significance of every day. By seeing the significance. I think we, I think we tend to discount each day. We don't, take, we, don't, we don't take advantage fully of every day. Of not just some days, but every day. Ephesians chapter 5, 15, 16. Paul says, be very careful then how you live. Because remember, we're talking about how we live, knowing he's coming again. Be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Every single opportunity. Why? Because the days are evil. And they're even more evil than they were 2,000 years ago when this was written. It would live wise. Every opportunity. Every opportunity. You know, isn't time the most important commodity we have? I mean, you can make more money, but you can't make more time. And we have to just, we have to, we, we have to be faithful, but we have to take, the, take advantage of every moment. And, and you know, it's, it's the little stuff that you do over and over and over and over that makes the biggest difference. Isn't that true? I mean, that's true with brushing your teeth, isn't it? If you just brush your teeth every once in a while, well, I mean, good for you. But it's that consistent two or three minutes twice a day that saves your teeth, isn't it? It's not putting a bunch of money in a bank account once or investment once that will bring a great return. It's that faithfulness of, of, of investing over and over and over time, it compounding and compounding. It's not, being, it's not taking your spouse out for a nice date once a year on Valentine's Day, Right? It's that every day of serving, of loving, of doing the dishes, of vacuuming, of, of, of serving, of bringing coffee, whatever your, it is your spouse might like and appreciate. It's those things that make a difference over time. And so it is that as we're surrounded by people that don't know the Lord, that are far from Him, that it's those daily investments, that we don't discount the dailies of every day that we're in school, we're at work, we're in our neighborhood, of this opportunity to love those around us. There's significance of each one of those days. I know as a person of vision, I'm always thinking about tomorrow. I'm always thinking about next year. I'm always thinking about what's to come. And, and I have to stop and I have to remind myself, no, be present in today. Today matters. Today matters. I know some of our young people, I know we got a bunch of them in J12 right now, but, but our young people, it's, it's, our, we can be so focused on the future, can't we? Thinking about what's to come, what's going to happen. But the way we're able to, to move into our future is by what we do today. And so we have to make the most of every single day. Even, even the moments filled with pain. Even moments filled with pain are full, of, are full of opportunity. Full of opportunity to see the grace and the mercy and the love of God manifest in our life in such a way that we can even share with others. Number two, the way we respond, the way we live in this age that we're in is to share the unconditional love of Jesus with others. Unconditional love. His love is unconditional. 
And in the way that we've received, we need to give John 13, 34, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And this love, isn't it, honestly, isn't it easier to receive than it is to give? But because He so loved us, because He's poured out His love upon us, we in turn extend that love to others. We're called to love others as we've been loved you know there's a lot of people talking about millennials a lot of jokes about millennials a lot of they get a lot of criticism and and i love millennials i actually do i love their authenticity i love their approach to life i i I really i truly love millennials i love what god's doing in them i love what god's doing in this generation of people but a statistic that i saw this week said this that 87 percent of millennials that are unchurched are all unchurched for the same reason. That uh, millennials that don't, and they're the most unchurched generation that we have. And if you ask them, why do you not go to church? Why do you not follow God? What is it? 87% gave the same answer. How many of you think that answer would be worth looking at? 87% would say that. And the number one reason is they, they view Christians as judgmental. As judgmental. That you and I are viewed as judgmental. And of course we say, well, we're not judgmental, are we? But how are we living? What are we saying? How's our life? Who's going to describe the narrative for followers of Christ? Is it going to be media? They're going to try. Or is it going to be you and I, the way we live every day? Every day. You see, what this means is is that millennials think that the church is more interested in fixing them than loving them. That they're a project to be fixed. How many know that each of us are to be loved first? God so loved me. He loved me. He received me. He saved me before He ever began working on me and fixing me. Fixing is the Holy Spirit's job. That's His job is to fix and to address it because people are looking for love. You see, in previous generations, the way you came into a church or followed Christ or was a part of a community of believers, there is a process. And this process was that you would believe in God that would change your behavior. Once you believed in God and you began acting like a Christian, then you would be accepted as a Christian and you would belong. So it was believe, belong, and behave. But with this new generation, with millennials, with those that are coming up, that approach doesn't work. That's viewed as judgmental. What works is belonging, bringing them into relationship, building relationship with them, letting them be a part of family, community, belonging. And once they receive that belonging, then they believe And once they believe, then behavior changes because of the difference that Christ makes it. Do you see the total approach of difference? And if we expect people to believe, then behave, then they can belong, we're not going to reach anybody for the Lord. But what if we just embraced people around us that we go to school with, we work with our neighbors, family, and then introduce them to Jesus and they believe in him and he makes the same difference in their life than he's made with us. 
He'll take care of behavior. He, he called us, he told us to be fishers of men, right? Not cleaners of fish, but of fishers. He cleans them, we don't. You know, Jesus didn't give, didn't give many prayer requests, but here's one he did give. It's in Luke chapter 10, verse 2. He, speaking of Jesus, told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So the third thing that we're called to do is to supply the Great Commission. To supply it. To supply it. I heard somebody say this about Europe. Europe is being said it's post-Christian. In fact, many people are saying about America that America is post-Christian. Well, the, the person I heard say this, he said it's not post-Christian, it's post-religion. And it's different. It's different. Nobody's post-Jesus. Anybody that's really experienced Jesus, a generation that experienced Jesus, they haven't gotten over Jesus. They've gotten over religion. And how many say that's okay, right? Because you get religion out of the way, the forms, the systems, the stuff, get that out of the way, then Jesus can really have his way among people, among nations. And so what do we do? It's a mantra you'll hear all the time from us. We pray and we give and we go. That we pray and that we give and that we go. That we pray, Lord, send forth laborers to the harvest. That we pray, it's a part of our regular prayer time, individually, corporately, that we pray, Lord, raise up workers. And then we give towards that. We invest towards that. We sacrifice towards that to give so that the Great Commission can go forth. As we talked about last week, about how so little of the church's money in America is actually invested on people that don't know Jesus. May it not be true of us. May we put our money where our mouth is and, and, and really give so those that are far from him can be close to him. And then we go. We go. We don't just go around the world, but we go across the street. We go across the office. We go across the classroom. We go and we love and we serve and we simply give a reason for the hope that's in us. And we simply share the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to read you a quote from a pastor. This is what this pastor has said. He said, look how the glory is gone. Some of you can remember 50 years ago when churches were in their glory. What a change there's been. In those days, people were converted and willingly declared what God had done to their souls. But conversions have become rare in this day. The glory is gone. The special mark of God's providence in this country seems to be over. We weep to think about it. That was written in 1702. 1702. Before we were even a nation, that was written. But I'm thankful that generations before us have refused to go silently into the night. And I don't think we should either. But I believe the Lord, what He's done before, He can do again. 
But there was a prayer meeting that started in Scotland and it moved to America and it was the beginnings of the very first great awakening and a revival that swept our nation. And a hundred years later, America was in decline. The Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, John Marshall, said this, the church in America is too far gone to be redeemed. Voltaire said this, in 30 years, Christianity in America will be forgotten. He was wrong, wasn't he? In the mid-1800s, there was a poll done at Harvard. There was not one Christian at Harvard, and there were burning Bibles. But friends, the church refused to give up, didn't she? She refused to give up. And there's a pattern in our nation's history, and any people, not just America, but any people who will seek the face of God, who will pray, who will seek Him, who repent, who will reach out to those around them, that God will respond and he'll move. And it happened again in the, in the fields of Kentucky, of all places, where the second great awakening began to take place. And a great move of the Spirit of God moved across our nation. In 1857, I'm going to read you just, just real quick an account. In 1857, there were 30,000 men idle on the streets of New York. Drunkenness was rampant, and the nation was divided by slavery. Yet God raised up a praying businessman, Jeremiah Lamphere. And on September 23rd, 1857, he began a noontime prayer on Fulton Street in the financial district in Manhattan. Out of a city of one million people, six people showed up for this prayer meeting. He distributed bulletins for weeks. Six showed up, and they were a half hour late. But the group decided to meet again the next week, and there were 14. And the next week, there were 23. And the following week, there were 40. And within weeks, there were thousands of business leaders meeting daily. Up to 10,000 men a day were on Fulton Street in New York City in the Manhattan Financial District to pray and to ask God to move upon America once again. And God so powerfully moved through that prayer meeting, it spread across the nation. It's estimated that one million people were converted out of 35 million Americans. That'd be like 10 million people today coming to Christ out of this great move of God. And out of this, there were great missionaries that went forth. And this this spread all over the world because six guys on their lunch break were willing to pray for God to move. We're willing to invite. We're willing to share. We're unwilling to reach out to those around them. And then this gave birth to the Azusa Street Revival, which is which is birthed the, the charismatic, the Pentecostal movement, which is now around the world. And so here we are today with the choice to make. Psalm 2.8 says, Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possessions. That's the offer that the Lord gives to us. And so the final decision we have to make, are we going to survive this generation or are we going to steward our generation? I don't believe the Lord has called us to survive. I believe He's called us to steward and to invest our lives to reach those around us because that's the time that it is because He's coming again. Would you bow your head and pray with me this morning? Lord, Oh, we want to be people used by you, Lord. Lord, we want to be people, Lord, who make a difference. Lord, you've made a difference in us so that we can make a difference 
in others. Lord, help us to not be so preoccupied about the stuff in our life. Lord, about what's just going on in the temporal. Lord, help us to have eternal perspective. We ask for that, Lord. Shake us up in that, Lord. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.